My name is Pastor Weston. I serve uh, as the student and connections pastor here alongside my wife, uh, Kelsey, who is also not here. Uh, she's at home uh, with our baby girl who actually, unfortunately, has hand, foot, and mouth, so we didn't want to contaminate the nursery. So I don't know about y'all. I don't know how your week has looked, but mine is just like, woo, a little, you know, little roller coaster. Pastor's gone, so it's like, hey, Pastor Weston, uh, hold the office down while kids are at camp, and Pastor Lydia and Pastor John are gone, and Pastor Chris is in another country. So this is going to be a fun day. We want to welcome you to New Hope. If you haven't felt welcomed yet, we just want to say thank you for worshiping here with us at New Hope. We're so glad you're here. Be in prayer, of course, for Pastor Blaine, for Pastor Chris as he's in Africa, and our team as they travel. And Pastor Chris texted me this morning. He said, about 6 o'clock, and he's like, dude, you're not even out of bed yet, and I've already preached three sermons. So <laughs> that, uh, that was, I was like, hey, that's, that's pretty impressive. So uh, thank you all for worshiping here with us today at New Hope. We hope you enjoy your experience. And if you don't, just come back next week. I promise you it'll be a lot better. I'm kidding. Uh, thank you all for, for being here this morning. Uh, I believe I have a word today that is, that is for you. But before we do anything else, can you do this? Just do me a favor. Can we celebrate everyone who's watching online right now? Thank you. We love you. Everybody, men and women in the correctional facility at Eunice, we love you. We are praying for you. Anything you need, we're here for you. We're so excited that you're watching and tuning in today. We believe that today is going to be an incredible day. Let me just say this. Uh, again, last night as I'm preparing the sermon and writing it, I, I really feel like like, this is kind of something I, I felt like has been in my spirit before, and I, actually, I was reading this passage, like, literally last week, and, I, and God was like, hey, why not this? Why not now? And I'm like, hey, I agree. Let, let's do this. So uh, I just want to kind of open up by asking you something uh, that, that's kind of a question maybe you've heard before. Have you ever been somewhere where you're not supposed to be? Oh, everybody's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Yes, right? You remember maybe when you were younger and, uh, and mama said, hey, listen, you can go outside and you can go play, but you better be back for, no, okay, no, you better be back for dinner, right? You better be back for dinner. You better wash up. You better be clean, right? All that stuff. And so we'd go and we'd play and we'd have fun and everybody, you know, have a good time. And, and some, some mamas even would be like so smart and be like, hey, if those street lights are on, you late, you late to dinner, right? If they start flickering, like they're about to come on and there's kind of a glow, like a warm amber before it turns orange or like a bright white, you better be running. Like, guys, I got to go. I got to go. All right, see y'all later, All right? right? You're at a place where you're not supposed to be, right? You're supposed to be home for dinner at the right time, right place. You got to be there. Well, I'll tell you a quick story just opening up. I remember whenever I was about 14, 15 years old, uh, I was what you would probably call the neighborhood smooth criminal. Um, I, you know, I just, you know, had a thing just for not being where I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be there. We lived, uh, growing up, we lived at the end of this ditch, um, kind of this dead end road. Um, 
not like the ditch that you just kind of walk over. It's kind of like a, oh, what's the Cajun word? Bayou or a slough, right? Okay, now you're catching like, oh, what's a, a ditch, a gully, right? Oh, someone, there, yeah, there you go. It wasn't something like you walked over. It was something that you didn't go in. Otherwise, you were going to be like at the bottom of it if it wasn't flooded, right? Get with all the snakes and stuff. Anyway, so we lived at this end of this dead end and this huge gully, bayou, slough, whatever you want to call it. We lived there, and I remember on the other side, there was like this new neighborhood being developed and all this great stuff, and they had just dropped some dirt, and I realized that apparently you needed dirt for a foundation of a house. Well, I just saw like a playground. That's all I saw. I didn't see new development. I didn't see new houses. I just saw a playground. I said, this is going to be fun. (laughs) So what did I do? I asked my dad if I could drive our four-wheeler and just go riding, right? That was half the truth. The, the, the half truth was I was legit going to get the four-wheeler, and I was going to go ride, and I was going to go playing around. The other truth that I omitted to tell my dad is that I was going to go pick up one of the neighborhood girls, and we're going to go riding. Hey, <laughs> right? Uh, don't do that. Uh, so I said, come on, girl. You want to go riding on my dad's four-wheeler? She said, yeah, boy. <laughs> my wife's not here. She'd be like, stop. Stop it. So we ride, and we're going where we're not supposed to be, and we end up like, I'm looking at this dirt hill, and I'm about to just, we're about to ramp it. One thing, um, dirt, fresh dirt that's not packed down is not a ramp, okay? So I'm like, you ready? She's like, I'm ready. All right, let's go. All right, you know, we're going, going, and all you four-wheeler guys are like, this is not going to end well. It didn't. Um, We hit that mound of dirt and just like stuck in it, like, right? She flew off. I almost broke my neck. It was bad. It was really bad. I almost broke my dad's four-wheeler, which was worse, right? I didn't even care about the girl. I cared about my, my dad's four-wheeler. I was like, no, he's going to kill me, right? And I freaked out, and like, I almost left her. I was like, girl, you better get on. We are not supposed to be here. We're going to get in trouble. That dirt mound's going to fall on us. It's not going to be good. They're going to be searching for two teenagers, and we died in a mound of dirt, Jesus help us, right? So I went and dropped her off, and I came back home, put the fuller back up, and I walked in for dinner. I was like, hey, what are y'all doing? Y'all ready for dinner? Y'all ready to eat? Let's go. All right. Right? Like nothing had ever happened. Are you, have you ever been to a place where you just weren't supposed to be there? That kind of really catches us up where we pick up in our story today. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 David finds himself at a place where he's not supposed to be. And I want to read this to you today. In verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says this. In the spring of the year, notice this, when kings normally go out to war, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab. He didn't go himself. He sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. David stayed behind in Jerusalem, not supposed to be in Jerusalem. He's supposed to be with his army, but yet he's at home on the couch. Mm, It's going to be good. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you. Have your way today in this place. Lord, I pray that you would speak. Your word would go forward. God, it would change us, mold us, make us into who you have called us to be in Jesus' name. And everybody up in the church house said, amen. I want to share with you today that kings can become complacent. 
That would kind of be the underlining uh, message for today is that kings can become complacent because really the title of this message is, is a time for kings. It's a time when we're supposed to be where God has called us, but yet a lot of times we can become complacent. In the story, David has become king. He's already conquered the giant, right? He's already won, won so many battles. He's, he's lived up to the, the, the age-old saying or story that he's slayed his tens of thousands, right? He's already surpassed what Saul ever thought he could have ever done. And he's, he's had a lot of accomplishments. He's had a lot of wins, a lot of victories. He is in the celebratory season of his life. He is deemed an honorable king through a lot of success that he has experienced. He has his riches. He has his fame. He has his glory. David is the man. Unfortunately for David, he makes a mistake here. And just like we saw in our passage, he sends somebody else to go do his dirty work. He sends somebody else when he's supposed to be off doing the battle, in the war, in the trenches with his soldiers, and he does what he's not supposed to do. You see, in a time where kings were supposed to be off for war with their armies, David was kicking it at the crib watching Lifetime, sipping on sweet tea. No, he was in Jerusalem. I just made that up. But that would be cool, right? Like, if, Anyway, sorry. But here's the thing. Can you relate to David here? Can you, can you kind of empathize with them or, or sympathize with them? Do you ever go through the daily grind of your week? Do, do you ever get to a place where you're just, you're kind of going through the motions, right? Everything becomes kind of a routine, especially when school kind of kicks back again. And, you know, we have our set schedules and, and times that we got we to gotta keep, right? Things like that. Could you imagine for, for David, it, it, it kind of looked like this. He had to get up, right? He had to he had to get the horses ready, weapons ready, chariots, the troops, the armor, right? He had to make sure that the battle plans were in place. He had to coordinate with the generals. And now let's go conquer another city. Let's go do, let's go set out to do what we're supposed to do. And, and then after we get done conquering that city, then let's go on to conquer the next city and the next city. And bec because David is who he is, the king, it becomes a ritual, it becomes a routine. It becomes mundane. It becomes mediocre to him. And maybe your week looks similar. Maybe you get up, right? You drink your coffee, right? Because you can't do anything without your coffee, right? You, you drink your coffee. You're sitting at your table. Maybe you're reading your newspaper and you're seeing everything that's going on in the Eunice News or Basil News or Iota, wherever it is that you live, right? You're checking out. You're making sure everything is, is in order and you're making sure everything's in place. And then, and then you go off to work and, and then you hit, you know, 12 or 11 or, you know, whatever time your lunch is and you go take a lunch break and, and you kind of do that and then you come back to work and then you hit your two o'clock slump and make Maybe you take a five-hour energy, come on somebody, right? Or maybe you hit a Red Bull or a bang or whatever it is that you got to keep yourself going, right? And all of a sudden, you clock out at five o'clock. Whatever it is that your day looks like, the daily grind, the daily habit of just going and doing. And once you get off, you got to go get the kids, right? Or you got to go get the grandkids, or you got you to do something. Maybe you got to take them to ball practice, or maybe you got to go get them from, from tutoring. Maybe you got to go get them from this, or go get the, the kids from that. Go get them from the babysitter or the nanny, right? It becomes habitual. It becomes a ritual. It becomes mundane. And we kind of get in this, this daily grind of life. And, and before you know it, it feels like you're in a groove, and you're going through the motions. Everything's going great. The routine, the rituals. 
But oftentimes our groove that we feel like that we're in in life, right? The groove that just feels so good oftentimes becomes our rut that we're stuck in. The groove that, oh, I, I, I'm in a groove, Pastor Weston. I got, I got everything going great. Everything's in order. My week's planned out. My month's planned out. I got everything going great. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm kind of stuck in this same old rut that I've always been in. The, the same old daily grind that I've always experienced. And here's the thing. David had become comfortable. Jerusalem had become his comfort zone. It had become his place of safety, his safe haven. And oftentimes, church, if we're not careful, our comfort can lead to our complacency. If you know anything about David's life, this is actually the worst chapter of David's history. We can actually continue reading in the next few verses because David wasn't where he needed to be and he ends up doing something he never and we never thought he could ever do because this is David the shepherd boy the sweet little innocent you know uh, boy to be king that was that always did everything right that had everything going for him that had the anointing and the blessing and and he he never did anything wrong but all of a sudden the comfort of doing everything right can also turn into something terribly wrong In verses 2 through 5, it actually reads, late one afternoon, David got up from his bed. What are you doing in your bed in the afternoon? Get up, right? Pastor Weston, I need my siesta. I need to take a nap sometimes. I get that. But oftentimes when you wake up from a nap, you're doing something that you're not supposed to do in the afternoon. Hello. Come on, somebody. Naps are good. I'm not complaining about naps. I love naps. I need naps. Praise God. But after taking a nap, he went for a stroll on the roof of his palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Time out. First of all, if a woman is on a roof taking a bath, that ain't the girl you're supposed to go after, young men. Hello. If she feels so free to take a bath on the rooftop, you got something wrong. Hello. Some of you guys are like, oh, yeah, she seems like a nice girl. No! Run! (laughs) Okay. Anyway. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba. Bathsheba, taking a bath. Hello? Do you see the signs? Okay, all right. Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent for her, and, he, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent a message to inform David. Here's the unfortunate side of this whole story is that David, one, was not in a place where he should have been, and two, ends up doing something that he never should have done, commits adultery, and if you continue reading, later ends up killing her husband by sending him out to the front lines of the battle. So not only does David have a child out of wedlock, commits adultery, but also ends up committing murder. David has become a complacent king. And we read this story and we say, man, what was David thinking? But church, what ends up happening is in our very own life, if we're not careful, we spend every day trying to become something so great, so wonderful, so comfortable, and so successful that we miss out on being where God has called us to be when he's called us to be there. All because we wanted to be comfortable. 
I've got to get to a place where I, I feel like I'm being successful, Pastor Weston. I've got, got to go and do the daily grind. I've got to go and do, do me. Listen, David didn't fail because he was away from his army. David failed because he was away from God. And, and, and here's the thing, just to, add, just to add to this, because accountability is huge. Could you imagine if David was just with his army, this never would have happened. If he was around people, if he surrounded himself with the people he knew he should have been around, then that never would have happened. It never would have taken place. I always tell our kids this all the time, our, our students, and, and I'm trying to see if yeah, no, everybody's, everybody's of age. This ain't going to be awkward at all. All right, <laughs> some are like, oh gosh, Miss Megan's like, no, no, don't do this. No, he, here's what I, I tell our kids all the time, our students, whenever it comes to relationships and things like that, listen, if you are by yourself, if you are with a person of the opposite sex and you can both become unclothed in the same setting, then you don't need to be there. You will never unclothe yourself around people in a public setting. Hello. Why? Because that's awkward. That's weird. No one does that. Oh, okay. This, is, this seems like a good place. Yeah, all right. No, don't do that, right? I tell our kids all this stuff. If you can become naked with a person of the opposite sex, then you don't need to be there. Hello. Get some people around you. Get some accountability. Surround yourself with good people. And guess what? Bad things won't happen, <laughs> right? That's exactly what David should have done. If he would have just been accountable, been where he should have been, then this never would have taken place, and we wouldn't be reading about David's shortcomings and failings and, and the time when he, fa- he, he fell. We'd actually be reading about David's victories, his success. But it's because we think we got it. Oh, Pastor Weston, I got it. I, I got everything under control. I, can, I got this. But it's when we finally get to that place where it says, hey, I got this, God. I can do this all by myself. Is actually our biggest fault. And it can happen to any of us. In fact, it happened to me. I don't typically share this in a public setting a lot. I've shared it with our students. And just being vulnerable today, just being open, because whenever I was writing this at 2 o'clock last night, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. We just, we, I'm tired, and Jesus is just going to honor it. Amen. But whenever I was a, a single youth pastor, I made a mistake, messed up, I had moral failure. I was at a place where I shouldn't have been doing something I shouldn't have done. And whenever I finally confessed that, hey, I messed up, I went to my pastor. I was serving as a youth pastor in Louisiana, uh, North Louisiana, and I'd been there almost a year single youth pastor, just gotten out of a horrible relationship, and it just sent me on a path down a road of destruction I never intended to be down. What I soon came to realize is that it was because I didn't have Jesus in my life. It's because I got to a place where I was like, hey, you know what, God, I can do me all by myself. I've got it. I can operate on charisma. I can stand in the platform and I can do me. Why? Because I just know how to, I grew up in church. I know the words to say. I know how to say it. I can, and how stupid I was to think that I got it all by myself. I became comfortable. I became complacent. And it was through just the, I started dating Kelsey during just the midst of this chaos and and she was with me throughout the whole process just to lift me up. But I remember I stepped off the platform for several months. 
didn't do ministry. That was the longest stint of my life that I did not preach. Did not preach. Did not preach a word. Did not do ministry. I sat back. I went through a rehabilitation process. And God ended up doing something incredible in me. Now, that doesn't say anything that I've reached my pinnacle and I'm here and I've... No, it's a daily work. And God does something in you. But church, we can never grow to a place to think that we got it all together just because we've had some success. If anything, that should make us more aware of who God is because without him, you wouldn't get nowhere, baby. But with him, come on, we can have the victories that he planned for us to have in the first place. And that's what it's all about. Come on, give God some praise. I want to give you this first point today. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you want to take a picture of it, I don't care. Tweet it, Instagram it, do whatever you do. Number one, our success is dependent on our servanthood. Our success in life, in ministry, is dependent on our servanthood. Are we willing to serve and submit to God's will for our life? Are we willing to submit to that? Because I promise you, church, if we are, then we'll make it a long way. If we're willing to submit to just what God has for us, because let me tell you, church, God's will has a proven track record for us. He does. His will is proven without a doubt. He's faithful. He's good. He's God. Our will for our life, not so much. Not by my will, but your will be done. Because my, with my own charisma and with my own might and with my own talents and abilities, I fail every time. But if I would just get to a place where I depend and trust in who God is, then I can live in that successful life that I want to be in. Not by my will, but your will. Secondly, just continuing this, this story, notice in that passage, in the first part of that passage, it said, in the spring, when kings normally go out to war. Church, let me tell you something, that no matter how successful we become in life, no matter how much money we can accumulate, no matter how many friends we have on Facebook, because a lot of times we chalk that up as, oh, look, I've got, I broke a thousand. Yes, right? Or you can be like somebody like, oh, they broke 5,000. That's not even fair. They're like a public figure, right? <laughs> how many cars we can own or how many bills we say we don't have. We try to hide. Can I tell you, church, that God has called us to be kings and queens of his kingdom. And kings and queens, listen, are still called to go to war. Just because we have been deemed or anointed to be kings or queens, to be royalty and nobility, doesn't mean that we're not called to go to action, to go to battle. Because a lot of times we may say, well, I've, I've arrived. I've reached the pinnacle. I've reached the place that I've always succeeded. I've always done this. And I've always done that. But David was a king, and he was still supposed to go out to war. What does that mean, Pastor Weston? That means that we can't afford to reach a place of comfort and prestige where we forget our first calling as nobility and royalty, and that is to serve the kingdom of God. Mark 9.35 says this, that whoever wants to be first, this is Jesus talking, whoever wants to be first must take last place. And to be the servant of everyone else. That's how crazy the gospel is. That's how crazy that this whole Christian lifestyle that we want to live is. 
that, well, Pastor Weston, I got to succeed, and I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to reach this, this place and this rung in the ladder, and I've got to have this accomplishment. Can I tell you, the, the kingdom of God is so backwards because it's not saying, hey, I need, to, I need to win, I need to succeed, but if you will be willing to serve, if as a king and a queen, you would be willing to take off your crown and take off your title and pick up a towel and serve somebody, that is the kingdom of God, friend. That is the picture of Jesus. If we would be willing to just step off our throne and say, you know what? No, God's called me to love. God didn't call me to lead this community from a throne. He called me to serve this community from my knees. If we would be willing to just love people right where they're at. There are people dying and going to hell outside these walls. And there is never a day where we're allowed to sit at home, kick up our feet, and do nothing about it. We can't. We can't afford it. No, we're called to go to battle for our friends. We're called to to fight for our families. We're called to go to war against the enemy. Being a king and queen doesn't make us superior. It doesn't negate us out of the battle. It should make us more mindful of the people that we can make an impact to, an impact for. That is what this kingdom is all about. That's what being a king and a queen is all about. It's time for kings. I want to share this kind of cool illustration. I've shared it before in a, in a FCA before, and these are some of my yearbooks from back in the gap. Some of you uh, elderly, wiser, much wiser people will be like, those aren't yearbooks. Those are toys. Those are bedtime stories maybe not maybe nope nope okay not funny all right but these are some of my yearbooks from 2004 to 2007 yes I'm young some of you kids are like dang he's old um but what I've noticed and learned about this this is my senior year 2007 back in the gap right 10 years ago 11 years ago do some math but as I'm as I'm opening this this book I see so many of my friends. And, and growing up in, in Shreveport, Louisiana, I, Bible Belt USA, if you will, what I soon to come and realize is that, that no matter how many times I would invite someone to church, tell someone about Jesus, if they were going to come, they were going to come. But if not, it, I couldn't hound them about it. Like, oh, you're going to come to church. You need Jesus, right? In fact, my, my, my graduating class um, voted me most likely to be related to Jesus. I took it as a compliment. Some people were joking, be like, dude, you just, you're way too much. I'm like, well, you need to come to church. You need to get Jesus. But all the while, I was living a hypocritical lifestyle that, that no one ever really knew. But what I, what I would look and, and see is, as I just kind of scroll through the pages of my old yearbook, I see people that, I encountered people that I had an opportunity to, to do life with and, and to minister to. What I remember most about high school is just kind of going through the motions. Waking up, getting ready, just going through the daily grind of what school looked like, going to my locker in the mornings, eating lunch with my friends that I went to church with. And as I go through these yearbooks, I... I I look and I see people that, that I ministered to, that I was an example for, 
that I, I liked and loved, but so many people that I just passed in the hallways that I never said a word. People that I don't even know. People that I still respect and, and have a lot of gratitude for. But some people I just didn't even care about enough to say anything. I'm reminded of a, of a story about these magicians, Penn and Teller, if you're familiar with them. They're big Las Vegas magicians. They do all this crazy stuff. Well, Penn is actually, he's the one that actually talks. Teller is the mute one, which, he, which is weird because he, his name is Teller. But anyway, sorry. Um, but what's crazy about this is Penn is actually a, a, a well-known, proclaimed atheist. He does not, or agnostic, he does not believe in God. But he said this profound statement, and he's, and he's quoted in saying this before. He says, as Christians, I don't understand. Because a lot of times, as Christians, you say you love people. But how many, how many people walk by people every day and don't say anything? And he says this, and he, and he quotes, How much do you have to hate someone, if you're a Christian, how much do you have to hate someone to walk by them? And not say a word. As someone who loves Jesus and proclaims that you love Jesus and you're a Christian, how much do we have to hate people just to walk by them and say, ah, you're not worth my time. I've got places to be. I've got things to do. And can I tell you, church, that year after year after year, after year, I saw people face to face, looked them in the eye, and did nothing to change their life. And I regret it. We can't come to a place where we feel so entitled or so acclaimed and so accomplished that we lose sight of what God has called us to do. And that is to go to battle for the people that God places in our life. Aaron, if you could come. Why on earth would I just let these years go to waste? You know what? These are reminders of, of great times that I experienced in high school, but they're they're a reminder of how many people that I missed out on. Because God didn't call me to sit at home and do nothing, friends. God called me to get off up my tail and do something about the kingdom of God to further it, to do everything in my power to see to it that lives are changed, that the city is impacted. And how dare us if we say, oh, Pastor West, I, I, I got to go to lunch. I don't have time. I've got I've to do me. Could you imagine the success of David if he would have just done what God had told him to do? In a time for kinks, we, can, we are not afforded the leisure to sit back and do nothing, friend. To the people that you encounter at the grocery store, to the people you encounter at the school, to the people that you encounter at your workplace, how many times do we look them in the face and say, God bless you, and walk and do our own thing. How many times 
We're called to go to battle for this city. We're called to go to war against the enemy. We're called to fight for something, church. And how many times do we just sit back and keep our mouths shut and we go to the place where we know we're not supposed to be? We sit at home and we say, hey, got to do me right now that's the same exact thought process that David had when it was the time for kings to go out and fight for a cause you have a cause today church God has called us to win the victory to win this city and I refuse to have someone outwork me for a soul I can't stand it Your pastor can't stand it. We will work. We will go tooth and nail. Jesus went toe-to-toe with the devil. He refused to lose. Jesus didn't just sit back and do nothing, sit at home. He got up. He recruited people, and he went out and fought the battle, and he fought the good fight that Paul talks about. We have to get to a place, church, where we're willing to take the city, to take no regrets and and hold no excuses back and say, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that this never happens again, where I don't open up a book, see a, a death or a person I could have ministered to, but I can look and say, I ministered to that person. I shared Jesus with that person. I did life with that person. And today they're in heaven because I was willing to fight the good fight, to go to battle, to go to war and do something about what God has called me to do and that's what this kingdom is all about we can't we can't get to that place where David was where he felt comfortable enough to say they got it and guess what they won the battle without him the Bible says that they lay siege to the Ammonite army. Army, They, they killed them. They, they destroyed them. Church, God will do what you refuse to do in someone else. If you choose to sit back in your kingdom in your high horse and just kind of do you, he will go around you and use someone else. But at what cost for you? At what cost for you? I refuse, church. I refuse to walk in the gym tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, and not say a thing. I can't afford to watch my friends that I go work out with just sit back and say nothing. Because God has more for you, for your family, for your friends. If we would simply be obedient, submissive, and open our mouth. The battle's already been won. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus said, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to this earth. Watch this. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Oh, Pastor Wesley, I thought Jesus was a peaceful God. I thought thought he was a loving God. He is. But sometimes, church... He calls us to pick up a sword and go to battle, go to war for what's worth fighting for. Is your family worth fighting for, church? Is your city worth fighting for? Are your friends worth fighting for?
It's time to pick up a sword. Go to battle. Every day, number two, this is the last point. Every day is our fight. Every day is our battle. I'll never forget what my pastor said in Alabama. Everywhere you go is somewhere Jesus wants to be. Everywhere you go, somewhere Jesus wants to be. That's the battle. That's the fight. The time is now. It's time for kings to go to war. If you can, just bow your heads all over this place. Close your eyes. No one's looking around. I just, in this moment, I just want to ask you. If you sit here today and you say, Pastor Weston, I've been living the life of a king. I've been living the life of a queen. But I haven't been doing much fighting for the cause. I'm not a part of God's kingdom. I'm not where I should be. And I need Jesus today. Without any further delay or anything like that, I just want to ask you, if that's you, will you simply raise your hand and say, I need Jesus. Wow, I see you. Yeah, absolutely. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Wow, all over this place. That's good. You can put your hands down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody else? Anybody else that just, you're just going through it. You just need Jesus today. I see you. I see you. Yeah, I see you. Wow. Just right now in this moment, what we're going to do is with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, here at New Hope, we believe that if you pray this prayer that we're about to pray together as a church body, as, as a corporate people, we're going to pray this prayer together. And we believe here at New Hope that this prayer can save you, that Jesus can save you when you're asking him into your heart. But here's the thing, church. It's not just about a prayer. It's about a lifestyle that reflects when you walk outside of these doors. So I'm going to ask you to pray, but I'm going to ask you to mean it. This life declaration that's about to take place, I just ask that for those of you who raised your hand and for those of you who didn't, if you would be so bold and so willing to say, I will live this out when I leave here. Come on, church. Can you, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Jesus. I need you. Help me to submit to your will, to walk in your ways. Take my life. Make it yours. Create in me something new, something real, something that will last. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. That's good, y'all. So good. Let's do this. We're getting out early today. I'm going to get you home in time to eat breakfast. Come on, somebody. Brunch. It's going to be good. Thank y'all. Listen, thank you for worshiping here with us at New Hope. If this is your first time, we just want to reiterate, please fill out a connect card because we would love to connect with you and your family. And if God did something in your life today, maybe you made a decision or you recommitted your life, find a connect card. Fill that out. Drop it by the Welcome Center on your way out today. We want to be able to celebrate with you. Is that good? Good. Hey, listen, stand to your feet.
We want to pray a, a blessing over you and ask God to just do something in your life. So if you can, just, just open up your hands like we're handing you a gift. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless these people. God, that you would bless this church. Lord God, that you would have your way in their life. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. God, that you would shine your face upon them and be gracious to them. That you would lift them up. That you would lift your countenance upon them and give them peace. God, that you would bless them no matter what they encounter, no matter what they face, Jesus, that they would sense you, Lord, when they walk outside of these doors today, God, that they would feel you in a whole new way. God, let us go to battle. Let us go to fight for your kingdom, for your glory, for this city. We proclaim it. We declare it in Jesus' name. Have your way in us. And everybody up in the church house said, amen. Be blessed. Thank y'all so much.